This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. A line on recording. Okay, welcome everybody. Welcome all our Torah Anytime uh, viewers. I can't picture, you know, like, before I start every class, I am literally, I'm literally like checking all the devices, making sure that they're working, because it has happened before that I've just started giving the class and I forgot to hit the record button. Um, but it's funny, it's, whatever. Okay, it's my own Michigas, my own uh, nonsense. Okay, anywho, welcome everybody. Tonight we're learning Lefwash Namat to Emma Bat Natasha and the Ilunishmat Avram Ben Ham Yehuda and Yechaskel Ben Abraham. So, tonight uh, we are continuing with the, I guess it's the third part of the Skulot series on uh, the Skulot to make, uh, to, you know, for, for Panasaf for money. So, whoever hasn't been keeping up or uh, concentrating, really, the way that I did the Emuna series was in sections. So we did sufferings, introduction, understanding, the power. And the past quite some time, we were on the topic of money. Money, I, I feel, is, is something that's very, very important. It's constantly on people's minds. In fact, the two number two things that are on people's mind in the secular world, I can't say in the Jewish world, because this is a study that was done in the secular world, but the two Top things that are in people's minds at all times in the secular world is money and relationships. Those are the top two things. And if I'm not mistaken, this is why Hollywood focuses very, very strongly on these two areas, on relationships and money, power, and things like that. Um, so, so Because that's what people want to see. That's what people are fantasizing about. That's what people are thinking about. That's what people want. So... There is a reason why we went in extensive uh, detail on the uh, money segment of the Muna, uh, I guess, series. But in the Skulot part, there was like it was like a series within a series. So there's the Muna series, then there's the money series, and then there's the Skulot series, which is a series within a series within a series. And here we're up to this should be the last class on the Skulot on the uh, you know on money. I was thinking, being that we gave, this is the third class on it, I wanted to give a quick recap. I wanted to go through very, very quickly to the other two classes that we spoke about. Now again, I'm going to go fast through these things. So by all means, you know, you're not going to get the, you'll get the gist of it, but I strongly recommend to listen to those other classes because we're just going to speak about it very, very briefly. So the first class that we spoke about uh, the Skulot, we spoke about specifically on the Skulot of losing money. So this should be just as important for anybody who wants the skulot, the losing money versus the gaining money. Because just like you want to gain, you want to make sure you don't also lose it. And in fact, for some people, this is maybe more important, the losing aspect, because you are satisfied with what you have. And that's a huge uh, bracha that you, if you're really satisfied with what you have. But let's say you're satisfied. So you don't want to lose what you have. As one of the saying goes, you don't appreciate what you have until it's gone. And there may be a song about it. I don't know. There's something along those lines. So... The things that we spoke about that makes a person, a, we call it skulot, to lose money. What is skulot to lose money? So number one was things that are related to gile arise, things that are related to immorality. So things that are related to tznyut, things that are related to guarding your eyes, that whole segment has a very, very big, strong emphasis on the power, the, the negative forces, which causes a uh, destructions of one's panasa, one's money. The, the Zohar, 
in Parshat Naso, goes and brings down, this is what I quoted before, and I want to quote it again, Rav Chilkia said that suffering torment will come upon a man who allows his wife to let her hair of her head show. For by keeping her hair covered, it's the aspect, it's one of the aspects of modesty, and a woman, says the Zohar, who lets her hair show in order to appear beautiful, causes poverty at the home. So if you want to be able to go shopping, if you want to go down Saks, uh, what is that, Fifth Avenue, which you shouldn't, but in case you do want to, realize Tzniut in the woman is very, very important. Specifically over here, we're talking about covering up the hair. The next thing we spoke about, I don't want to get too much into this because I could get into a wormhole in it. The Shlag Hadash goes and says that Machlokis, you have to stay very, very far away from arguments from a Machlokis. That one Machlokis says the Shlag Hadash can repel, can push away 100 Panasot. So you have 100 blessings of Panasot coming your way, but you have one Machlokis that pushes everything off away. The Gemara in Bava Metziah goes and says that you shouldn't loan on interest. People that loan on interest will cause uh, a loss of their panasah. The Gemara in Sukkah, page 29b, goes and says that delay of wages of your workers also cause a loss of panasah. Again, we're just doing a quick recap. So if you did, you aren't here or you didn't hear the other, the first, uh, um, Two classes, just bear with me. This is just going to sound a little bit foreign to you, and you could always review it, but just bear with me. And now, the other few things that causes one to lose money is by desecrating Shabbat, fraud, theft, anger, sadness, worry, related to that, arrogance, also Lashon Ara. Those are a few things that causes a person to lose the, the blessing that they have. Now let's focus on the last class, which you said the things that bring blessing. So we spoke about emunah, that brings blessing. Learning Torah, Torah has a power of bringing blessing. Also honoring the Torah, doing kibbutah Torah, honoring the Torah, honoring the Talmidei Chachamim. Keeping Shabbat, oh that's so important. Eating malave malke, eating, eating a meal after Shabbat is over. And of course, we spoke about the Gemara that goes that says that you're supposed to honor your wife to be to be uh, wealthy. A person should always the Olam always be be very very careful in honoring his wife. That a person's bracha, a person's blessing is not found in his house. Only because of the wife. Look at the power of the woman. Then we spoke about prayer. Prayer is very, very important, especially, this is really should be the number one school, huh? Prayer. And we spoke about a few things. Parshat Aman, saying Yigat Aramban, the Torah through a cloth, the Yid Gimali Karim, the 13 principles of faith. Also saying three chapters of Tehillim, many three chapters. But then there's one thing that I saw this past week that I realized that I didn't mention last time. That there are certain chapters of Tehillim that are more misugal for panasah. So I want to list you, I believe there are 11. I want to list you those things. I'm going to say it in English. You can write it down. You can review it, remember it, or you can just ignore it, whatever it is that you do with information that I'm presented to you. The, the, the tehillim that are mentioned for panasah is chapter 23, 34, 36, 62, 67, 85, 104, 121, a popular one from a lot of people that know that one by heart, 136, 144 and 145. I had a request, request to write it in. So you know what? I'm going to quickly write it in in the chat so you guys could, uh, um, could have it for, um, <laughs> or talk slower. That's going to be a little bit more difficult. There it is. The, I, I posted on the chat the, all the, um, the, 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 the chapters of Tehillim. Okay. Oh, thank you. Okay. You wrote it down already. Perfect. 
after we also said after we're only going fast now only because this is a review but afterwards we'll, we'll slow down a little bit each week after Shabbat the big skula for Panasa is to say the name Eliyahu exactly 70 times and every time you say it, you concentrate on one of the names of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, one of the names of Hashem, and that is the name Aleph Gimel Lamed Aleph. You concentrate on that, that while you say 70 times the word, the name Eliyahu. Next thing is also not to do any work before praying. You shouldn't do any work before the praying. After, uh, also for a man, you have to go and uh, make sure you don't take off your tefillin until after Aleinu, as well as davening with a minion is also a skula for, um, for, for Panasa. Okay, so now, that was just a quick recap. Let's get to the new stuff. Now we're going to slow down a little bit and try to cover some of the, some of the new stuff. Um, in the chat, the name is Eliyahu, and let me put that down over there. The name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that you're supposed to concentrate while saying Eliyahu is Aleph Gimel Lamed Aleph. So I just put that in there in the chat for everybody to see. Okay, so now let's go on to 70 times. That is correct. Now let's go on to uh, the new information. Okay, and again, for everyone, that was all previous ones. So everyone, we have to go online to go and um, look at Torah anytime and see the previous uh, classes. I would say that the last one wasn't uploaded yet. So that should be uploaded in the next day or two. Uh, okay, now, getting started. One of the less known skulot, this is not so popular, one of the less known skulot is saying brachos properly. Saying, saying the blessings before food properly, that also brings wealth. The Pasuk in Mishlei, chapter 10, verse 22. I don't know why it's freezing. You guys are telling me that it's freezing. I'm not sure why. I could, let me switch over. Let me switch over to a different, uh, a different network. Okay, so I'm switching over. I hope this helps. My Wi-Fi stuff is like right over here. Maybe I have to move it and plug it in directly. I don't know. Okay, let me know if this is, uh, if this is okay, if this is better. Okay, so now the Pasuki Mishlei goes and says, Mishlei chapter 10, verse 22. Berkas Hashem hi se'asher. The blessing of Hashem will bring riches. But it could also rephrase it at Berkas Hashem, the blessings that you make to Hashem, that's going to make you wealthy. There was once a young man who studied in the yeshiva Porat Yosef. And the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva Porat Yosef at this time was none other than Chacham Bitzion Abba Shaul. A big, big tzaddik, a big adol in Israel. He was the Rosh Yeshiva. And there was this certain man that learned there, and he left the yeshiva because he wanted to start working. And he became extremely, extremely successful. The Rosh Yeshiva goes and says, you want to know why this guy is successful? You know when people are like sleeping and they're like that, and all of a sudden, like you know, the rabbi says, "You want to hear why?" It's not. It's different by saying, you know, you want to have a skula for yourself. It's different. But if you take like a huge, you know, successful. Imagine you have a rabbi giving a shear. Um, I don't know how this is going to turn out in the future. If someone listens to the classes two, three years down the line, but you know, who knows? We'll see. But right now, the richest man in the world is. 
Elon Musk. Okay, I figured I was waiting for anybody to say, but I guess you guys are too holy, you don't know that. So there was a person by the name of Elon uh, Musk, uh, the founder of Tesla. I believe it's SpaceX, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure if that's Jeff Bezos once. Or what, uh, you know, one of the space exploration, uh, you know, companies. So he's uh, the wealthiest person, you know, alive today. Again, from my knowledge, it might be Jeff Bezos. I don't know, depending on how Amazon is doing. But from my understanding, it's Elon Musk. Now imagine a rabbi comes to you. Is starting to say, and you're sleeping, you're like tired. And all of a sudden he goes and he says, I want to share with you the skula, the power that made Elon Musk successful. The spiritual, he did something spiritual, imagine, you know, the rabbi tells you. And he says, this is what he did and this is what made him successful. I guarantee you everybody's waking up. Everybody's like, what was that? Elon Musk? Yeah, we're hot. Oh, yeah. I want to own a spaceship. Yeah, like, what can I do? Yeah, I want an electric car. You know, like, I'm, I'm all over here. What, maybe I could open up the next Amazon? Like, all ears. So, Kham Ben-Zion had a student. The student became very successful. The Kham Ben-Zion the Rosh Yeshiva, goes and says, I want to tell you, what is the reason that this guy became so successful? Everybody, everybody's listening. And Kham Ben-Zion goes and says, he says, the reason why this guy was successful is because he was extremely, extremely careful with reciting the Brachot, and he always did it with great concentration. And the students were like, well, that's it? The, reciting the Brachot with great concentration, that's it. So one student wanted to do a little research. He says, oh, that's so? Okay. Let me go visit this previous, he's a friend of mine. He was with me in Yeshiva. Let me go visit him. He goes visited him in his, uh, in, you know, in his office, and his, uh, you know, his friend welcomes him in, brings him right into his office. He has a beautiful big office. And this wealthy businessman now goes and gives his friend, who's still learning in Yeshiva, you know, a cup of tea to drink. And he gives him some cookies. And this guy is drinking and he's eating some cookies. And, he know, and they're talking, they're schmoozing. And as they're talking, they're schmoozing, the guy realizes that the wealthy businessman is not eating or drinking anything. So his friend asks him, he says, you know, my dear friend, why are you only giving to me? Why don't you maybe, you know, drink with me some tea, you know, drink, eat some cookies together with me. So the businessman goes and says, no, 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 I, I can't. And he says, what do you mean you can't? This is your business. You can do whatever it is that you want. Well, you know, we're sitting and eating, you know. It's more, imagine you have somebody. It feels more comfortable when both people are eating together, both people are drinking together. And the... This is the wealthy guy is trying to say, he's like, no, 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 I, you know, I really can't. And he's pressuring him. I was like, well, what do you mean you can't? And he goes on and he says, you know, the, I'm in my office and the telephones are ringing nonstop. My secretary is going over here. I have workers. I have everything falling in from all different places. He says, if I'm going to need to eat and drink, I need to make a blessing. And he says, I can't concentrate properly in order to make a blessing while I'm working. There's too much distractions. So this friend says, what do you mean? So what do you do all day? He says, so the wealthy guy says, says, I don't eat or drink the entire day because I'm afraid of making an improper blessing. I'm making a blessing without the proper kavanot, without the proper concentration when I'm making these blessings. So the guy was like taken aback. He's like, wow. He's like, I didn't realize like how, you know, how serious you take these blessings. And they're talking for a little bit longer and then uh, they get ready to part ways. And the wealthy businessman goes over to his friend and he says, you know, you came to visit me, I'm assuming you need some sort of financial assistance, do you want me to write you a check for something, do you need anything? And this, his friend from Yeshiva goes and says, no, 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 he says, you, you gave me already $100,000. The guy says, I gave you $100,000? He's like, sir, he says, when did I give you $100,000? He says, right now, you just gave me $100,000. guy says, what are you talking about? We were just talking the whole time. 
And he goes on and he says that what the Rosh Yeshiva, Chacham Ben-Tzian Abashol Gwanan said about him. He said the reason that you're successful is because you're so careful in ble- with your blessings. He says, I wanted to go and see that for myself. I wanted to go and see with my own eyes how careful you are. He says, now that I see how careful you are and now I see your success that you have, you just gave me $100,000 because I don't need your money. Now I'm going to know. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this information. Now I'm going to work on blessings myself. And this is my investment for my business in the future. In Kahaba, this is what he did. He went and he started focusing very, very strongly on business, on, on his blessing, and then he went into business. And he was very, very successful. The rabbi who said over this story is a rabbi who went over to the second wealthy guy, meaning there was a guy who left yeshiva, was very careful in blessings. Then there was another guy, the second guy that visited him, that saw how powerful the blessing was, he also became very wealthy. The rabbi who said over the story was going collecting money from the second wealthy guy. And he's sitting over there in front of his rabbi, in front of this, uh, um, uh, in front of this wealthy businessman, the rabbi is sitting. And this wealthy businessman goes over to him and he says, I could get, I have, you have two options. I could give you $1,000 or $100,000. Which one do you want? Now, I don't know if you ever dealt with anybody who collected money before. But if you go, if somebody's collecting money and says, listen, I could give you a thousand or a hundred thousand. I don't know anybody who will be like, you know what, a hundred thousand is very heavy. I'm not into that right now. Just give me the thousand. You know, we'll talk about the rest later. Everybody's going to be like, give me a hundred thousand. They could go so much further. So this wealthy businessman goes over and he says, I'm going to give you an advice. And he says, take my advice because this is going to be worth far more than a hundred thousand dollars. And he retold this rabbi the story of his former class, classmate in Yeshivat Pat Yosef and, what, and how he became successful. And this wealthy man goes over to this rabbi and he says, teach your students to recite the blessings, the bachot properly. And I guarantee you that your yeshiva will never lack funds. So the rabbi went and he took this advice. He didn't be, this is, wasn't the rabbi, I'd be like, you know what, I'll take the thousand. <laughs> Give me card cash instead of your, uh, you know, the rabbi was a serious rabbi, and he says, you know what, yeah, that sounds, that, that's amazing. And he went on and he got his students to be very, very careful on the blessings that, anything that they made. That year, not like 16 years down the line, that year, there was a man, this was Yeshiva in Israel, there was a man who went to visit this rabbi who he has never met before. And he came with his brother, there were two successful businessmen, they went to observe the yeshiva. They were very impressed, impressed. and that, right then and there, they pledged funds to purchase a new building. Several months later, a building was acquired, and numerous donors from all different angles came forward, and the building was all covered. This wealthy businessman's advice was worth more than any monetary contributions he would have given. Now, if we think about this for a second, just a second, just think about the power of blood. We make so many blessings every single day. You, you're, taking, you're taking a cup of water, you're making a blessing. You go out of the bathroom, you're making a blessing. You're eating a piece of, uh, I don't know, bread, you're making a blessing. Anything, few, a handful of times a day, you're making blessings. What would it cost you to just spend an extra seven and a half seconds on making that blessing count. Meaning that before you make your next blessing, before you make your next bracha, you stop. You think, I'm about to talk to God. You say the blessing loud. 
you say the blessing slow, you concentrate, all that is maybe another seven and a half seconds of the blessing that you're already saying. And that could give you an ultimate amount of panasa of blessing that you could have. So let's take that into mind the next time we make a blessing. The next kula is to be careful with nitilat yadayim. When you're washing your hands, be careful with washing your hands. Also make sure that you have sufficient water when you're washing your hands. Also something we spoke about last class regarding the wasteful treatment of food. You have to be very careful. Don't, don't just throw bread around. Be careful with the crumbs. There's another aspect also that when you cut bread, it's better not to tear the bread with your hand, but rather use a, uh, a knife. I know now they make these breakaway halas. It's better to use a knife than to tear it with, uh, with your hand. There's also a skulat having a sharp knife. A sharp knife for cutting bread that it doesn't leave a residue of, cr- of crumbs. There's another thing over here, that I remember years ago, I was uh, you know, teaching in a Sephardic Russian um, shul, and this came up, and I always used to be like, I've never seen a source for this. And I'm like, I don't know why you guys go so crazy on it. So I saw a source for it, but I didn't see any details on the source. But this, the thing was, not to leave keys or any other metal on the table. And this is something that I've never seen before. And they were like, oh, no, it's a big, you know, you have to be careful of Panasa. And they were going very, very, very crazy on it. And I was like, I don't know what you guys were. I never heard this before. But I got to say that I had a, I have a safer of Otsa Panasa. Um, and in there brings down that you're not supposed to leave keys or any other metal on the table. But I couldn't find any reason for it. But it was just a sort, it just said it in the Sefa that um, it's not, you know, it's not a good school law for Panasa. So make sure you don't leave that over there. So I just wanted to put that out there. The Kavayasha, the next school law. Kavayasha in the chapter 64 goes and says that when you bench, when you make the Bekat Amazon, you're supposed to leave a little bit of bread on the table, something on the table. Why? Because the blessing does not settle upon a place that's empty. It needs to have something there. That's why you're supposed to leave a little bit of bread on the table. And this is the same reason Rav Shlomo Luria went and, and also made sure not to leave any empty utensils on the table when you do Birkat Amazon, when you bench. Only full ones. Only full ones. Take off, take off the, the empty ones. There's another uh, school out regarding benching, and that is when you bench, when you say Birkat Amazon, do it with simcha, do it with happiness. Uh, now, this is uh, you know difficult for, for many people, but you should really focus and do a lot of things with happiness. When you do something with happiness, it changes everything that you do. So it's so it, it pays so much in life. Just in, just a general idea. Anything that you do, try to do with happiness. Everything is going to go so much further when you do it with happiness. There was an elderly man in Israel. And he used to go and say Berkat Amazon extremely slow with every, enunciating every single letter, every single nikud. Everything was so slow and perfect. And people, you know, always heard him benching, and they were like, there's got to be a story behind this. You know, like, people don't generally just, you know, bench like that. They should, but generally it's not like that. So one day they decided to go over to this elderly gentleman, and they said, uh, can you, you know, there's got to be a story behind this. Like, what's up over here with your slow benching? You're so careful in it. So he goes and he says, when he was 11 years old, this is going back to the 1930s, he lived in Poland. And one day... His cheder, his school, was being tested 
by the tzaddik, the gadol adol, Rav Meir Shapiro of Lublin. Rav Meir Shapiro of Lublin was known as the Lublina Rav. He uh, also ended up, he later founded the Chachme Lublin Yeshiva. But what he is most well known for, and you know, you have some people that make such a revolution in what they do that it changes history forever. So Rav Meir Shapiro was one of those people that changed history forever. Rav Meir Shapiro was the founder of the Dafyomi movement. So every the everything that came, you know how you like to think about it, like you know like art scroll. Art scroll was like it changed, it, you know it, it changed the whole you know movement of like just like learning, and the idea over here behind of what Rav Meir Shapiro did it changed it changed the world. Who knows if art scroll didn't come out. From what something that Rabbi Meir Shapiro did, like like it, it changed the course of history. He was the founder of Dafyomi. So basically, the Dafyomi, whoever's not familiar, in the Gemara, the, the Talmud Bavli, there is two thousand seven hundred and eleven pages. And he figured if you do just a page a day, just a little bit a day, only one page a day, in seven and a half years, you could finish the entire Gemara, the entire, the entire Talmud Bavli, and. Things has been picking up. Oh Hashem, it's been getting more and more momentum as years gone by. If you, anybody's ever gone to like uh, any of the Siumea Shas, right now there's hundreds of thousands of participants in this in this movement of learning one blot gemara a day. Hundreds of thousands. If I'm not mistaken, the last Siumea Shas you had you know about three uh, you know worldwide you had about three hundred thousand people participating in it, and that started from a movement of one rav Rav Meir Shabbat. It like changed. The course of history. So this big rabbi, he was going to visit this person's uh, yeshiva, and he was 11 years old at the time. And this rabbi goes and he started quizzing all these boys. And after he was satisfied with the you know the answers that he got, the the you know the, the test, so to speak, that he gave, he revealed a special secret to these boys. And he, this Rav Meir Shapiro went and he quoted the Bach, and the Bach says that he found out that the reason why the final Fay does not appear in the entire Bekat Amazon. There's one letter that does not appear in the entire Bekat Amazon, and that is the final, the final Fay. Why? He says because when one recites Bekat Amazon with concentration, Hashem's anger and wrath, which is Af and Ketzef in Hebrew, both of which end with a final Fay, will not prevail over him. The Bach then goes and quotes the Sefer Achenach that says whoever concentrates during Berkat Amazon, his sustenance, his Parnassah, will be provided for him in a plentiful and dignified manner. Again, the letter over here that's not mentioned is the final Fei. So there's, there's Pei Fei, the final Fei, the, the, the Fei Sofit. Rav Meir went on and he quoted the Orchadash who, who heard it from the, the, the Bach. And he said that a person should be very, very careful when you're benching, don't recite it by heart. Look inside a sidul, look inside the text that you say it inside. So this is the old man is saying, this is what the rabbi, when I was 11 years old in the 1930s, this is what the rabbi told us. He says, I was 11 years old and I decided right then and there to firmly resolve from then on to only recite Bilkat Amazon with full concentration and from a sidul inside. And he says, he says, my classmates, after eating lunch, they would run out to play. He says, but I didn't do that. He says, while they ran to play, they knew that they don't can't count me in whatever games that they're playing. Why? Because I sat there and I benched and I said, with concentration and it took me a time. 
And I was always the last in the playground. And this is the way that I started. I resolved myself to move my, to, to, to do benching. A short while later, World War II broke out. And uh, it was a short while after that, we were all put into cattle trucks and deported to concentration camps. And he goes on, he says, I was tall for my age. And uh, there was an inspection. And the inspection was, what do you do? What do you do? Are you worth it for the Nazis to keep you alive? Or are you useless that we have to chuck you into the gas chambers or any other other source of a death trap that they had set up? So everybody tried to go and show what use they had. But he goes on and he says, I was a kid. I didn't have enough time to learn a trade. I didn't know anything. So I tried to make myself look as tall as I possibly can. And I sat there and I stood up as tall as I can. And I was so nervous. What am I going to tell this Nazi officer? What could I possibly do? As we were getting closer and closer, there was a tap on my shoulder. I turned around and there was a guy standing right behind me, another Jew. And I was about to sit in front of the Nazi and go and tell him what is my trade, what was my experience, what can I do? And the guy whispers in my ear and says, tell him you're a cook and I am your helper and I'm your assistant. I could tell, I was a cook and I could help you out. Two people go up, it's his turn. He gets up there, he stands tall. The Nazi goes and says, what it is you do? In German, obviously. He didn't speak in German accent English. And uh, this, this boy says, I'm a cook. And he turns around and says, this is my assistant. Never saw the guy before in his life, but he said, this is my assistant. And uh, the Nazi says, okay. And they push him off to the kitchen. And he, start, and he goes into the kitchen and he starts working. And he realizes he works in the kitchen and he has, unlim- he has supply of food. He has the ability to go and eat more than anybody else had. All of a sudden, he sees already the blessing that he had from going and being very, very careful on saying Belkat Amazon. And sometimes the food that they gave was bread. But if he didn't feel that he had the ability to say Belkat Amazon with proper concentration, he did not eat. He did not eat bread. Even if he would starve. He says, I'm not eating if I cannot say the Bikat Amazon. You know how you have now, nowadays people will be like, you know, I'm really hungry, but I don't want to wash because then I have to bench. Oh my gosh, that's going to take me another whole another two and a half minutes of my life. I'm so busy. I have so much YouTube to go through. I mean, I have so much stuff that I need to go through on social media. I mean, in life and work and in stuff. I have so much important emails that I need to have. I don't have another two and a half minutes. I can't. You know, people are going to be like, you know what? They're sacrificing not eating bread so that they don't have to bench. Unfortunately, this person... He says he didn't eat if he couldn't bench properly. And this is somebody, not that he just ate six minutes ago, like unfortunately us Americans that we have to eat every six and a half minutes, otherwise we feel like we're starving to death. He didn't eat the whole day and he went and he refused to go and eat bread if it wasn't, he wasn't able to go and concentrate on, on Bekat Amazon. That is the level of how careful he was with Bekat Amazon. But he still worked in the kitchen, he still had a supply of food. And a few months go by, and a Nazi walks by, and he sees this, he sees this boy, and he goes over to him, he says, you know, how are you so well fed? He says, everybody else is so emancipated, he says, what's going on with you? He says, I'm not going to stand for a well fed Jew, are you kidding me? You're supposed to look scrawny, skinny, weak, he says, you look too, this is not a vacation over here. And this Nazi officer goes and says, you're coming with me. And the guy's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? He says, hey, you know, now I'm in trouble for eating too much, I'm not, you know, like, I can never do anything right. He brings him out to a place near the road, and there was a, a bunch of, uh, like a very, very rocky ground over there. 
And this Nazi officer hands him a small hammer and he says, I want you to build a bunker that you have over here. You have four hours to build a bunker. It has to be two meters deep. It has to be, it has to be enough, big enough for soldiers to be able to go and take cover from any other bombing. If you're able to complete this in four hours, you go back to the kitchen, you survive. If you cannot complete this in four hours, this is going to be your grave. This person is looking at this hammer. He says, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to do this? It's a tiny little hammer. I don't even have a shovel. I have a little hammer. What am I supposed to do with a hammer? He says, how am I supposed to build this bunker? Four hours by myself? There's no way. He's sitting over there. He starts praying to God. And he starts praying to God. He says, God, you guaranteed me sustenance. You guaranteed me panasa. How am I going to have panasa if I'm not going to be alive? A few moments go by. And there's a truckload of Nazis that are driving past by. They see this lone Jew with a hammer standing by the side of the road. And they decide to have some fun. They take, they had a bunch of fruit and vegetables over there. And they started throwing it at this, at this prisoner, at this Jew. And this Jew is getting pelted from foods from all angles. And the Nazis are laughing. They're having the best time. And they're throwing it and they're throwing it up and they're throwing it down. It's filling on his feet. It's hitting on his face. And he has just food getting thrown at him. And he's getting piled around with piles and piles of fruits and vegetables that they were transporting to the camp. And they're laughing. After they figured that they had their sheer fear of fun, they decided to leave. And they drove off. Meanwhile, this prisoner is pelted with all... He has a pile of food near him. And he's like, what am I going to do with all this food? i got four hours left. A few minutes go by. Just a mere few minutes. A bunch of Polish officers go by. And they see this person standing next to a pile of fruit. A pile of delicious vegetables. They thought that this was a, you know, he was being put on guard on the, to guard these fruits and vegetables. It's the time of the war where fruit and vegetables were not so commonly found. These starving Polish soldiers, a whole truckload of them were looking and they were like, wow, look at all this uh, food that this guy has. So they go over and it says, maybe you can share some of the food that you're uh, guarding. And he's like, guarding? And all of a sudden he realized what they thought. And he stands up tall and he made his most guard-like voice possible, like booming. And he looks and he says, you want this food? He says, I'll give you this food on one condition. He says, you build me a bunker, four meters by four meters, two meters deep. You build that to me in two hours, within an hour, and all the food is yours to keep. They were like, what, all of it? And he was like, all of it? But you got to get, take. They jump out of the, tr- they have all the, the utensils. You had a whole group, a truckload of army officers, Polish army. So they jump out. Within a half hour, they knock the entire thing out. And he says, you earned your wages, you could take all the food. And they go and they collect all the food from the ground. They're so happy. They're so thankful. And they leave. Guy's sitting over there. He's got, you know, he's got about three hours to spare. So he sits and he's relaxing. Meanwhile, this Nazi comes four hours later on the dot. He comes by. He comes back thinking, okay, this is it. He says, uh, I got this Jew. He comes by and he sees a perfectly dug bunker. And he's looking at the bunker. And then he's looking at the tool. He says, what did I get? And he's looking back, and he's like, he's like, how, there's like rocks. And he's like, you know, he's like, he, the Jew saw that he was like processing information over here. He was like, how? Not possible. Looks at him again. He's like, where's the muscles? No, that's just fat. You know, like you're going back. He's like, this doesn't make any sense. But, but he goes and he says, you know what? A deal is a deal. And he says, uh, he says, this, this Nazi officer goes to this, this Jew. And he says, you Jew, somebody's pulling strings for you. I, and the Nazis were able to see this, but yet they still, mur- I don't know, this, don't, don't ask me. That's what the Nazi says. 
But said this elderly man, that Nazi allowed me to return to the kitchen duty. After that incident, said this elderly man, he says, I'm, I double down on my promise that if I emerge from this Gehenom, I will always stick to my resolve to recite the Birkat Amazon because I see how it saved me so many times. And he says, since I left many years ago, Hashem, I was liberated and I was able to get out of you know, the concentration camp, out of, out, out of that entire saga of my life. He says, I kept my promise. And likewise, Hashem too has kept his promise. Birkat Amazon is the only tefillah, the only prayer that is commanded in the Torah. And it has the power to open all, all the heavenly blessings that we all want. So the next time that we're about to go and bench, stop for a second and realize the power that you have. Instead of going blah, 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 by heart while you're cleaning up, sit down, open a bencher, read inside the text, say it just a little slower. It will take you maybe another minute. But the power of blessing that it has is unlimited. There is a, an addition to that. Rabbi Yehoshua Leib Diskin and the stipler going would advise barren couples, couples that were not able to have children, to be a specifically very, very careful, in particular, about Birkat Amazon to bench with Kavanah. And they all saw salvation from this. The Ma'ar of Hashemesh goes and explains that when a person says Birkat Amazon, when a person benches with Kavanah, the very food that they eat becomes medication to heal the body. You're taking that food that you ate and you're raising it to, to another high spiritual level. This is the power of benching. How careful we have to be. The things that we do anyways. We're doing it anyways. So just stop for a second, for a moment, and think about beforehand. And go and say the blessing with just a little bit extra kavanot. The two rabbis that I mentioned was Abishua Leib Diskin and the stipler going. The next kula, which I want to speak about, is staka. It is well known. This is not a skula that's not well known. This is a well known skula that giving tzaka, giving charity, is effective and a powerful way to increase one's wealth. The pasuk says in Devarim, chapter fourteen, verse twenty-two, in Deuteronomy, it says, "Aser ta'aser is called tfuat zeracha." It says that you should go and give ma'asel. Uh, you should give. You should tithe. You should give a percentage of your money to to charity. Again, depending on the charity, we're not going to get into all that. Says the Gemara in Tanit, page 9a. Why is there a double wording? Why is it asel to asel? Why is it twice? Why is it say the same sort of shoresh, the same sort of root twice? Rav Yochanan went and answered, because the Pasuk is telling us, asel bishvil shetis asel. You shall go and give off charity. You should give off, you know, a percentage, 10%, let's say, for, for example. You should give off the 10%. Because, so that you will get wealthy. So that you will get wealthy. So there was a person over there that was there. Was like, how do you know that? How, how do we know that? So what Rabbi Yochanan says, go and try it. He says, one may not do so with any other mitzvah. But with the mitzvah of giving tzedakah, go and you can test God. God says you can test Him. Test Him in this thing. Ma'asal, give 10% or give 20% depending on your level. And then see the blessing that comes from it. You have people that they go and say, oh, I wish I had a lot of money. If I had a lot of money, I would give a lot of charity. I wish I had more time to learn Torah. I wish I had the ability to learn Torah. And I, I, yeah, I have to say, maybe I shouldn't say it, but I will say, so over the years that we've had this, this class, you know, I've noticed that as soon as people got married and have children, they stop 
for a big part of them, they stop joining the class. Why? They're busy. They have children. They have, uh, you know, they're not. If they would have time, they would go and learn more. They would go and do more. That's not the correct approach. The correct approach is that if you want to open the gate of blessing, if you want to learn to Torah, do not wait till when you have more time. Go and push yourself to a point that even if you don't have time, try to learn a little bit. If you don't have enough money, try to give a little bit of charity. Because the way that it works, says the Emek Adavar, that when a person is most nefesh, when a person gives over, when a person goes and sacrifices, and does more than he can for God to go and give charity, or go and learn Torah, God gives him extra assistance. All of a sudden, you'll have more time in your day. All of a sudden, you'll have panasad that comes in. There's a story that I read from of David Asher, that it was a very wealthy man that went over to the rabbi and told him his story. He says in the late 1970s, his father, he was just 19 years old, and his father told him he wanted to start a wholesale company. At that point in time, he had $100,000 to invest. So he began building the business, and they realized that $100,000 is not enough. They needed more money. So with difficulty, with great difficulty, they went and they started, they went and they finally figured, they were able to obtain a loan of another $100,000. And shortly after them acquiring that loan, there was a wealthy community member who approached this man's father and asked him, he says, maybe you can give a donation. They're now, you know, trying to collect money. There's a new yeshiva, there's a new elementary that's opening up, and which was vital, it was very important for the community. And they needed, uh, they needed money. This wealthy man was asking, this person who just started his business, he says, uh, maybe you can, um, uh, you know, uh, donate $26,000. And uh, the rabbi, the, this wealthy man, who's not wealthy yet, but this, this uh, person who just borrowed $100,000, he used to give $18, you know, $26, you know, 50, you know 101 you know, like $26,000. But... To this person surprised who was saying the story, this boy who was 19 years old, he says, his father agreed to it. He says, yeah, no problem. Count me in, $26,000. So this boy, this 19-year-old goes and he goes, he says, dad, he says, how do you do that? He says, you just worked so hard to get a hundred grand for the business. He says, how are you going to give away $26,000 for that for charity? So the father says, don't worry. Everything will be just fine. Tzedakah. Charity is going to be our source, our merit. At that point in time, they're building their business, and they didn't have any major department stores as customers. Three days after this man pledged $26,000, they contacted JCPenney. Back then, JCPenney was a little bit bigger than what it is today. But they contacted you know, a big department store. And with weird amount of ease, they were able to schedule an appointment and a meeting. And not only that, JCPenney placed an order worth... $126,000. Listen to this. The, the company borrowed $100,000. The man pledged $26,000. The amount of money that, that was just pledged in by JCPenney was $126,000. He says after that, this wealthy man was now, he's now wealthy. He says, you know, business picked up. And he says now $26,000 is, is a donation that we do very, very, you know, commonly. This is not something that's over there was always big. Now $26,000 is nothing. He says, you see the power of blessing. When he was tight, when it was hard for him, he went and he pushed and he was able to go and make, within just a few days, see the blessing of that. It also protects for a, for a loss as well. There was a wealthy man who uh, used to do business with Walmart. 
and he was doing significant amount of business. I mean, annually about $10 million worth of orders Walmart gave uh, to him. And one day, Walmart just calls up and says, we're canceling our order. No reason, no, no details. And he tried to convince them, nothing doing. That night, he just got canceled, you know, a large, large business order from him, 10, 10, over $10 million a year. He got a phone call that uh, he was invited to a um, parlor meeting for a certain organization. He's like, he's like, I can't go to a parlor meeting. I just lost this huge client. I just lost Walmart. I have, you know, tens of millions of dollars at stake over here that I just lost. I'm not, I, my head is not into going and listening to it. He wasn't into it. But he thought about it and he said, you know what? He says, let me go. Maybe it's the right thing. He decided he's going to go. He went and he listened to, you know, whatever they were speaking about in the meeting. And he was very, very, in, he was very, very inspired. And he decided right then and there he's going to pledge $250,000 to the organization. A quarter of a million dollars. Two days go by. Two days. A mere two days go by. And his corporate contact from Walmart called him up. And they said that with no reason, they reassessed the situation. And you know what? We're not canceling it. We're going to continue our order. Just a mere two days later. So look at the power of blessing. Look at the power of charity. Look at the power of tzedakah. Now, due to our busy day-to-day lives, it's very hard for us sometimes to go and give tzedakah. Yeah, we have miser money and we give right you know, then there. How easy it would be if we could just give a standing donation to a certain organization. So there's a certain organization that I am quite fond of, and I've spoken about it maybe once or twice or 25 times before. I don't know, who knows? And this is besides Torah Anytime, which is, of course, a great organization that you could donate. But there's another organization that I'm very, very fond of, and that is an organization called dailygiving.org. Dailygiving.org is an organization that, it's so apropos for this, for this, uh, thank you, Sylvia, for, it's in the, it's in the uh, chat box. It's so apropos for this, for this type of class, because when do you have a chance to give stuck up charity every single day? Like, yeah, okay, you have to fill you go online. And go, yeah, people are not going to do that. Give, here you have a here you have an organization that you give a dollar a day. That's it, a dollar a day. It goes to a different organization. They have 30, 40, I don't know exactly where they're holding right now. Different organizations. And every single day, your dollar is going to something else. And you're going to say, okay, what's a dollar? How much effect does a dollar have? So, Baruch Hashem, this organization is blowing up. It's blowing up. This organization, I remember, what is it, a year and a half ago, I don't know, maybe a little bit more, I don't remember how long ago, when I first got, you know, like, heard about it and got involved with it, they had 200 and something dollars being donated, meaning 200 people came together and gave a dollar a day, and then $200 is going to each, uh, you know, each organization every single, uh, every single day, or, you know, each day. Then, you know, as time goes by, more and more people go in. As of today, there is over 9,165 people donating a dollar a day, and that's giving over to an organization. That, that's huge. That's over three $3.3 million a year that's going to charity for $1 a day from a bunch of people. Like, how amazing is that? How amazing that you have that? We see the schutim, we see the power of tzedakah, but you know, like sometimes we don't have the ability to give every single day. Here you have something, you sign up and you're done. You bag, you know, get, they take every single month, they take $31 out of your, out of your account every single month. Every single day, it's going to another, you're giving charity every single day. Look at that, what amazing blessing that you have. Every single day your money is going, and it's not only that, it's collectively. There's achtut, there's unity. You're going with nine, 1,165 of your brothers and sisters are com- coming together and donating to a different organization. 
Isn't that amazing? Isn't that unbelievable? Like, there are organizations that you would never even think about donating to. And they, it's on the list. And, and I believe it's rotating. They, they add, they remove. They, they, you know, they're, they're trying to give everybody. Giving almost $10,000 a day to charity, to different organizations. Like, how amazing is that? How amazing is that? That you should be able to go, if, like, you should stop what you're doing and go and sign up. Dailygiving.org. It's amazing. And by the way, I don't get any kickback. Well, spiritually, I get a kickback. But physically, there's nothing. I think it's such an amazing idea. Like, how awesome is that? The, the power of staka, the power of charity is so powerful. But how often do we have the ability to do it? Yes, we, should have, we have to give charity. And we have to give ma'asal. We should give the 10% if you're able to give 20%. But here you have something, an opportunity to go and give a dollar a day. And you know what, I, I want to venture to say that you start doing this and see how your life changes. See, just, just like picture, like there, there is changes. Like, I don't know, maybe it's, I, who knows how we can attribute to it. But ever since I started, you know, giving to it, I've noticed that maybe it's, who knows what it could be. I'm not God and I'm not God's accountant. I don't know the reasons for that. But there's so much blessing in that. There's so much blessing in that. A dollar a day. It's less than what you pay for your coffee per day. And that's even if you have an espresso at your house. And you're not going to Starbucks or whichever other nonsensical, whatever, $6, $7 mortgage coffee that you're getting. Less than a coffee you can get to charity and earn endless, endless amount of reward. When dealing with charity, we know that a person's income is set from Rosh Hashanah. One's expenses are set from Rosh Hashanah. But not only that, they're also your losses is from Rosh Hashanah. It says the Gemara in Bava Batam page 10a, that says that if one has merit, meaning that to give charity, you have to have merit. You know, you think, okay, the other person has to thank me. No, no, you have to have merit to give. You have to be lucky enough to be able to give to charity. Really, it's, a, it's, like, a, it's like a mind-blowing thought. Like, you think that, okay, you know, like, whatever. They have to say, t- no, it's a merit that you have. If you have the ability to go and give charity, if you have the, you have the merit to go and sign up, I, I'll tell you like this, there is, you know, I don't know, maybe 50,000 people heard about dailygiving.org. Maybe, probably more, probably more. But not everybody has the merit to give. You hear about it, it's a good idea, but then within a few seconds, you're like, forget about it, right? Because of, of our life and ADD and what, who knows what else you know, is going on. We tend to forget, you have to have a schut to be able to give it. You want to give money to Torah anytime. You know, like, there is a merit that you have. You're, you're joining partnership with that. It's not just, you know, like, stop, okay, fine, I give it. You know, like, no. There are many people that are going to hear this. And they're going to listen to the idea of, wow, daily it's great. They're not going to sign up. They're not. They're going to fall. They're going to be like, it's great. Maybe I'll do it. They're not. They're going to forget about it. They're not going to do it. You have to have merit to be able to do it. It's a privilege to be able to go and give charity. It's a privilege. So some people, says the Gemara in Bava Bata, page 10a, that have the privilege, there is losses and gains that a person has. Some people will have the privilege that instead of losing the money to medical expenses or whatever it is, they will be able to have that money get away from them through charity. And it brings down a story of Rabbi Yochran ben Zakkai, a story that we said before. Rabbi Yochran ben Zakkai had a dream. And in his dream, he saw that his nephews were going to lose 700 dinar. It's a larger sum of money. And that entire year, he didn't share with them the dream. That entire year, Rabbi Yochanan Mitzakeh pressed his nephews to give charity, give charity, this organization, this organization. Throughout the year, they gave a total of 683 dinarim. They were left with 17. That Arab Yom Kippur, the government came and collected 17 dinarim from them. Now, they didn't tell this to Rabbi Yochanan Mitzakeh yet. They just had their money taken away. 
And they were very disturbed. Like, why would the government come and they take away this money? Like, what's going on? They went over to the rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, the Gadol Adar. And they went over to him, and he saw that they were downcast. And before they even had the chance to say anything, he says, don't worry, they only took 17 dinarim, they're not going to take anything else. They were shocked. They were like, wait a minute, how do you know? There was no social media. There was no post to be like, oh, you know, sad emoji, sad, 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 you know, can't believe government taxes just took away 17 dinarim of me. You know, and Rabbi Yochanan was like, oh, you know, you know, thumbs down or whatever. Rabbi Yochanan was like, I had no idea of knowing about this. He came in, he says, don't worry, they only took 17, they're not going to take anything else. They were like, wait, what? Like, how do you, Rabbi, how do you know about this? And he went and he told him about the dream. He says, I had a dream. And that you are going to lose 700 dinarim this year. So I pressured you to go and give it to different charities. So his nephew says, a rabbi, said, why don't you tell us about the dream? We would have gave all 700. Why do we have to give 17 to the, to the government? We could have gave all 700 to a charity. So Rabbi Yochanan Zaka answered them. He says, I want you to do the mitzvah of charity for your own merit. Not because, oh, you know what? You're supposed to lose a certain amount of money. Might as well as go to charity. You know, after the fact. You know, you invested in the market. And, you know, unfortunately, you didn't do so well. I'd be like, oh, what a waste. I wish I would have given that to charity. Okay, so you know, like in hindsight, yes, it would have been better to give a charity. But says Rabbi Yochanan Zaka, says, I wanted that mitzvah to be on a higher level. On a higher, higher level, and therefore, I didn't tell you about it. So we see over here that giving charity not only gives you benefit, but also things that you are supposed to lose, you're not going to lose now because now you gave that money to charity. Rab Chaim Velazhin was very, very careful about all mitzvot, but especially very careful with staka. And Rab Chaim Velazhin went and he gave 20%, not 10% to ourselves. So everybody should give 10% of, of their net income to charity. But people that are able to should give 20%. 20% is a chomish. And Rabbi, Rabbi Chaim Velazhin goes and says that whoever is careful and give 20% is guaranteed to become wealthy. So he was very careful with, 20, with 20%. One time, he had a question regarding that 20% that he was giving. Something on that quantity. He had a question on, on a certain amount of money. If he had to give it or he didn't have to give it. And he decided to act leniently and he didn't give it. That very same day, his maid went to draw some water from the well. And the bucket that she brought to draw the water fell in. So she had an axe with her and she tried to go and get the bucket with the axe. And the axe fell in also. So she goes over to the rabbi, to Rav Chaim Velazhin. And she goes over to him and she tells him what happened. And he thought for a second and he calculated how much the pail would cost and how much the axe would cost. And he realized they would all, they, both of them together would cost three gold coins. And that is the exact amount that he was lenient with. So immediately he went and he rectified this. He went and he took three gold coins and he gave them to charity. Later on that same day, they came and they told him that they'd been able to get it back, the axe and the gold pail, and they returned it to him. He saw some. He saw that he was supposed to give something. He fixed it and shortly afterwards he got the money back right then and there. Tosus also brings down a very interesting story. That there was a rich man who had a field that would yield him a thousand core. A core is a, a, a measurement of volume. And he would, he would go and he would take away 10% for a charity. He would give a hundred core every year for Maasel. Later, when he got older in his life, he was on his deathbed, he called over his son. And he told him, he says, this field that I'm, you know, you're going to inherit yields a thousand core. Make sure that you give Maasel a hundred core the way that I did. And the son said, fine, no problem. And shortly afterwards, the man returned his soul to his maker. That year, the field produced a thousand core. And he went, the son, as he promised his father, went and he gave a hundred core to a charity. The next year, the son realized, says, you know what, a hundred core is a lot. Ten percent is a, you know, it's a nice amount. Is, do I really need? And he decided he's not giving Maasel. He's not giving Maasel the next year. He felt that it was too much. Gave, gave too much money to charity. He didn't like it. 
That year, that he decided that he's not giving the money to charity, the entire yield of his field dropped to only 100 core. Meaning from 1,000 core, it only now produced 100 core. And he was very sad about it. When the relatives heard that he did not put aside money for Maasel, they went and they told him, he says, you're the one who caused your downfall. He says, why didn't you put Maasel the right way? He says, when the field, and they go and they respond to him, and he says, you know, when the field came into your possession, you acted as the owner, and God acted like the Kohen, where you gave 10%. And you separated. When you separate his part, you God gives it. Now, God became the owner, and you became the Kohen. You got 10%. Originally, when you had 1,000, and you gave 100, 10%, that went to God. But now that you didn't give that, now the tables are turned. Now you don't get a thousand, now you're only going to get a hundred. We see over here, and this is what our sages says, that one who holds back from Maasel, one who doesn't give Maasel, at the end, will only be left over with one-tenth. How careful we have to be with giving Maasel. The Gera Rebbe, the Gera Rebbe was a Rabbi Yaakov Aryeh Alter. He would always set up a tzedakah fund for Pesach. Pesach is a very, very expensive uh, you know, holiday, especially if you have a large family. You have matzos, wine, eggs, fruits, vegetables, meats, fish. Uh, you know, and then you have shoes and clothing. This, it comes up to very, very expensive yomtev. So they, uh, there's a, or, and this happens every single year to this day, where they have kimchat de Pesach. They go and they collect money before Pesach for people that need extra money for the holidays. That they be able to celebrate the holidays with menuchas and efesh, with you know, relaxation. They don't have to worry about the money. And a bunch of organizations, almost every synagogue goes and has some sort of fund that people can donate so that everybody could celebrate Pesach, you know, with happiness. So the Gare Rabbi did the same. And he went over to, uh, I'm sorry, his, his, uh, his shamash, his assistant went over to a big, uh, you know, a Baltzag, someone gave a lot of money in England. And he went and he asked them for some money. And the guy went and he signed a check for 10,000 pounds. Uh, roughly back then it was about $15,000 which was a lot of money for this. He, this person had some money, but he didn't have the money to give you know, 10,000 pounds. He didn't have that, that amount of money. But he decided he was going to, he put some side, uh, side money to, put, to invest in, in real estate. And he decided that instead of investing in real estate, he says this is a more worthy cause. And he decided he's going to give the money that he put aside for his investment, he's going to go and give it to charity. And he gave 10,000 pounds to, uh, to charity over here. That was six weeks before Pesach. On Erev Pesach, he gets a phone call from his lawyer. His lawyer calls and he had a, another investment in a certain property. And he got an offer, which was like something like, like crazy to, to sell it. Uh, it was like a part ownership. It, basically, his profit would have been 10,000 pounds. And the lawyer says, he says, you know, take it because you're not going to get anything close like this for, for, this, for the value that he, ha- that, that he had. And he went and he sold it. He sold it and he made that 10%. And he was thinking, he says, you know what? He says, if I would have given, given 20,000 pounds to charity, I probably would have gotten 10,000 pounds, 20,000 pounds back. I gave 10, I, he saw it. He gave 10, six weeks later, he got back 10,000 pounds. And in fact, they once asked a well-known Baltzakai, a well-known person, philanthropist in England. And he said, did you experience this? That you saw firsthand that you gave charity, gave a lot of charity, this, this wealthy man. He says, did you see it, you know, like a, an increase in your wealth? And he goes and he says, I see it all the time. He says, I test that I, and he goes and he says, I can attest that I've never ever felt lacking from the sum of money that I gave to Tzedakah. He says, I always saw that it came back somehow. Somehow it came, maybe I had to wait a little bit longer, maybe a little bit shorter, but I always saw that it came back. Look at the power of, of the blessing that you have from giving charity. Rav Shmuel Hanagid, a few more minutes and we'll be done. Rav Shmuel Nagid lived in the, from the year 19, uh, sorry, 993 to the year 1036. 
He was a treasurer for the Sultan in Constantinople, Turkey. And he, this was a Muslim country, and all the ministers over there were all Muslim, except for one Jew, Rav Shmuel Hanagad. He was the only, was the only minister of the treasurer over there. So they were all very jealous, and they started going, and they started, uh, um, you know, putting rumors out that this person is not so honest. And they came to the Sultan, and they, and they said, you know, the, your uh, prized treasurer, he's... Uh, He's, you know, stealing, skimming from the, from the pot. You should uh, maybe conduct an investigation. So the sultan went and approached this Shmuel Anakid. And he says, uh, he goes over to him and he says, how much money do you owe? So Shmuel, Shmuel Anakid went and answered and he says, I own uh, 250 gold, co- gold coins. So the king went and challenged him. The sultan challenged him. He says, what are you talking about? He says, your salary is much higher than that. He says, what do you mean? He says, you only have 250 gold coins. So, Rashmul Nagar responded, he says, Your Majesty, you asked me how much money I own. And he says, the vault in my home, yes, I have more than 250 gold coins. But that's not really mine. He says, it can be taken away. You can decide to take it all away. In a second, he says, but I've given 250 gold coins to charity. He says, that money, that I consider mine. That money no one can take away from me. He says, that's what's mine. The Sultan was so impressed with his answer that he was convinced that this person, this Jewish person was one to, was one to trust. But what do we learn from this? It says that the money that he felt was his was not the money that he had, but rather the money that he gave away. And this is the, this is the mindset that you're supposed to have when you're giving charity. The Gemara Baba Basra, page 10a, goes and says that Turnus Rufus once asked Rabbi Akiva, that says if your God loves poor people, why does he just provide for them? Why does he make them have lacking, lacking funds? So Rabbi Akiva answered, he said, so that we will gain merit by helping them. Meaning that we think that we give charity to somebody and it says, okay, now we're doing him a favor. But really it's not so. They are doing you a favor. You're gaining internal merit. And that is a mindset that you're supposed to think about when you're giving charity. When you're signing up to dailygiving.org, when you're donating to TorahAnytime.com, when you're donating to a family who doesn't have enough money to survive for Pesach, whatever it is. Don't think that, oh, I'm doing them a favor. Think that they are doing me a favor. The Gemara and Shabbat Page 151b goes and says something very, very important. Call Hamarachem alabriot. Whoever has mercy on God's creation, merachamin alav min ashamayim. Have mer- who the heavens will have mercy on you. V'chol she'ena merachem alabriot. Whoever doesn't have mercy on God's cre- creations and God's creatures, ein merachamin alav min ashamayim. They don't have mercy on you from heaven. Meaning, you want mercy from heaven, and oh, everybody wants mercy from heaven then what you need to do is make sure you have mercy on other people. If you have compassion for other people, they will have compassion on you from heaven. There was a rabbi who was childless for many years. And this rabbi, it was in the 1970s, he went and he received a phone call from a, uh, you know, from, the, from, from a hospital. There was an old woman who passed away, had no family. And the hospital was going to donate the body parts to science for scientific experiments and whatever, donate, whatever they were going to do with the body. So the rabbi heard about this. The rabbi quickly ran to the hospital. And he went and he personally stood next to the body and made sure that he was causing a ruckus. He says, you can't take this body. This is a Jewish woman. She needs a Jewish burial. Going, it was a difficult, difficult struggle. But finally, he was giving, given clearance for Jewish burial. But the problem was, is that woman had no money and had no relatives. And there was no one to pay for the burial. So the rabbi, so they were going, so the, the, the staff was going, so what's, who's going to pay for the burial? Who's going to, like, who, who are we, you know, giving this body over to? 
So the rabbi says, this woman has no family, I'm going to cover the expenses out of my own pocket. There was a doctor that overheard this, and he was so impressed that he decided he's going to pay for the expenses for the burial instead of the rabbi. Shortly afterwards, this rabbi, who couldn't have children for many, many years, found out that his wife was expecting. And not only that, they had a baby boy, and this baby boy grew up to be a very, very well-renowned rabbi. He says, So if you have mercy on other people, Hashem will have mercy on you. What a skula. You want a skula for anything? Make sure that you have mercy on other people. Make sure that you, someone comes to you with something, you know, feel it, feel the pain, have mercy on it, see what you can do to help them. Rabbi Kreisworth was told by his doctors that he had only a few weeks left to live. So he went over to the stipler gone in Bnei Brak, And he says, is there any way that I can annul this decree? So the stipler gone said, goes over to him and he says, take upon yourself the mitzvah of achnasas kala. Going and, you know, gaining money to go and help money to go and, and uh, for, to help people that can't afford their weddings. Achnasas kala. And this will annul the decree. And he goes and he, could, and he, and he tells him, where's this source from? And he says, there's a tefillah that we say every morning on Elud Varm. And it says, Eilud Varm She'en Lem Shir. We go and we say uh, uh, in, in, the, in the Bachot in the morning, we say a special prayer on things that do not have a, um, a there's no measurements for it. But then the, the, the blessing goes on. It says, Eilud Varm She'adam Ochel Parasein Ba'olam Azet. These are things that a person gets his, the fruits in this world. V'ha'keren kayem et and the principle that's safe for Olam Abba. And there's something very interesting, says the, says the stipler Gohan. And he says, you go on, it says, Uvikar Chaylem, Vachnasas Kala, Ulevayas It says, visiting the sick, Hachnasas Kala, and then speaks about death, Ulevayas And he goes and he says, why is there a separation? There's sick, Hachnasas Kala, and then death. He says, why is Hachnasas Kala smack in the middle between sick and death? Says the stipler, that by devoting oneself to going and doing the Achnasas Kala, if one's sick, that is going to be able to annul the decree of SMS. That is going to be able to annul the decree of, of death. So right then and there, Rav Kreis went, and he devoted himself to marrying off orphans. And in fact, he married off hundreds of orphans. Hundreds of orphans, boys and girls. And Hashem gave him, the doctor told him he had a very, very short time left to live, a few weeks left to live. Rabbi Kreiswitz ended up living an additional 22 years after what the doctors told him he only had a few weeks left to live. We know the famous saying, Tzedakah Tatzel Mimavis. Tzedakah has the power to go and save a person from death. But we see also in addition from this story another lesson. That not only the Tzedakah that you give from your money, but also if you're able to raise money, that also counts as charity and that also has the power to save from death. And finally, I want to find, finish off with one final skula, and the Gemara in Megillah, page 28a, goes and says, Rabbi Nechari ben Akana goes, and was asked, that, what did they, what did he do to merit such a long life? So the Gemara goes and says, above Abbasra, page 15b, that, well, in addition to that, the, the, let me back off. The Gemara Megillah, page 28a. Rabbi Yechonah ben Akana, what was, he, what was he worthy of living such a long life? He was very easygoing with his own money. And the Gemara Baba Batra, page 15b, also mentions that, that Eov was also very easygoing when it came to money. When he paid his workers, if he had a little bit extra, he says, keep the change. He married from that to have a tremendous, tremendous amount of blessing. And the Sefer Derech Muna goes and says that if somebody is generous with their money, 
and they're not so particular and particular, you know, like, okay, they're, gen- they're easy going with their money. This is a skulan for long life and for wealth, especially when this avoids argument. So we spoke about a few things today with a quick recap of the things that are a big skula for Panasa. So we spoke about benching. Bekat Amazon, how important it is and how powerful it is to go and give you the, the power of blessing. And the next time that we may do Bekat Amazon, stop for a second, say it a little bit slower, a little bit with more concentration. We also spoke about Bachot, the power of blessings. Blessing has a tremendous power to go and give a Bacha for Panasa. We also said be careful with food, be careful with wasting food, and be careful with the, the crumbs and the bread. Also, we spoke about charity, how, how powerful charity is. And finally, we mentioned about the aspect of easygoing with money. All these are skulot for panasa. With that, we will open up to any questions. Okay. Oh, here we go. Okay. Uh, here we said over here, also saying Pashat Aman and Akedat Yitzhak heard from Rabbi Biederman. So yes, that's also, that's correct. Another skulot for panasa is Pashat Aman. Um, and you know, as well, Akedat Yitzhak, okay, that's interesting. I, did I recall that? I don't think I recall that, but yeah, m- makes sense. If you heard it from Rabbi Biederman, take it to the bank. Next question. How does one know if they have the means to give 20% Maasel? Okay, so that's a good question. And I feel like that question is better answered offline uh, because it depends on your expenses. Basically, you want to make sure that you have your expenses covered and you don't want to stretch yourself too thin. But at the same point in time, it also depends on your level of emunah that you have. So there, there is a lot of factors that go into that. And, and I can't say straight... First of all, if somebody is, is making a tremendous amount of money, so then fine, they have it. But if somebody's in between, then I would recommend to go and speak with a you know rabbi or mentor or someone you know, to try to, try to get a, a guidance on... What is the amount of you know money that they should be giving? That's something I want to uh, you know put it up online. Okay, uh, looks like that's it. All right, thank you all for joining. We want to also remind everybody that we do have a WhatsApp chat that puts all the classes up with, uh, you know, if you ever want to join the future classes, we have every Thursday night, a women's only class. So if ever wants to join, you could uh, follow, you could join with the... Um, to join the WhatsApp, you can reach out to me at rabbizitron uh, rabbi at com. I'm also going to very, very quickly, I should really have this saved up. You know what I really start need to do? I need to just put it in the chat box, the, um, the link for that, that people could just, uh, you know, that people could just join without having to, uh, you know, come anytime. But in any case, I'm going to put it up in there now. Whoever wants, you could go and um, click that link and you will be added to that chat. Whoever doesn't want to, don't click the link and you won't be added to it. <laughs> that is all. Thank you again for all for joining. May HaKadosh Baruch bless each and every single one of us with tremendous amount of bracha upon us. That we should have enough money that it shouldn't be a question. We should, should not only be able to give 20%, but we should be able to give 30, 40, 50% without a dent in anything that we make, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu guide us that the money would make us closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and not further away. Chazak thank you all for joining. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.